crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm Christopher Eames and I'll be your host for today's program. Well, today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going to be talking about the French people, specifically their identity in the Hebrew Bible. Now, here at Watch Jerusalem, we've, we often reference our, uh, our free book that we offer by Herbert W. Armstrong entitled The United States and Britain in Prophecy. You can order that, a hard copy for free, on our website or, or read it online, whatever, whatever you prefer. This book goes through in, in detail just what happened to the lost ten tribes of Israel. And it also details what happened to God's promise of a never-ending throne of David. So we'll get to how all of this relates to France in just a moment, because France is associated with one of the lost tribes of Israel. But, but first of all, let's take a few minutes to review the gist of the book, The United States and Britain and Prophecy, if that's even possible. It's such a full, impressive book. Now, it's common knowledge, uh, fairly common knowledge, that during the reign of Solomon's son Rehoboam, the northern ten tribes split off and became known as the northern kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, Israelites. The remaining tribes ruled by Rehoboam from Jerusalem became known as the southern kingdom of Judah or Jews. So we have Israelites and Jews. And while all of them can be called Israelites, specifically the southern kingdom was the kingdom of Judah, was the Jews, and then the northern kingdom was more specifically Israel, the Israelites. Now, during the late 700s BC, the, tri the ten-tribe nation of Israel, that northern kingdom, they were taken captive by Assyria, and they became lost to worldview. So these, these people became known colloquially as the lost ten tribes, and man has speculated for centuries, perhaps even millennia, about where these people went. Now, the... Some have even speculated that perhaps the Maori people in New Zealand, where I'm from, uh, perhaps they were the, the remnants of the Lost Ten Tribes. And of course, this isn't true, and we'll, we'll see that as we go. But we have our Lost Ten Tribes, as they became known, and the Bible describes their deportation by the Assyrians up to as far as northern Iran, and then the record in the Book of Kings stops. So the Jews, on the other hand, that southern kingdom of Judah, they continued to rule in the, uh, within the Holy Land up until the early 500s BC. And that's when they're conquered by the Babylonians. And they too, at that time, are deported in large numbers. And those who, those who remained, many of them fled into Egypt. Now, the Jews did retain their identity, though. Uh, a big part of that was uh, to do, as Mr. Mr. Armstrong brings out in his book, a big part of that was to do with keeping the Sabbath. That's, that's something largely the northern kingdom of Israel failed to do. But even to this day, the, 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 the Jews are known as the people who keep the Sabbath. 
and uh, so that so that's just one aspect, one one angle of why their identity remains. Uh, but but the Jews did retain their identity in the diaspora, and uh, many eventually returned to Judah during the days of Zerubbabel, uh, Ezra, and Nehemiah. And their story continues to play out through the Hellenic period. We've got the Maccabees, the Roman period, etc. So what of the lost ten tribes then? In the, in the uh, United States and Britain and prophecy, Mr. Armstrong pieced together the puzzle from uh, several b- biblical passages, pairing it together with secular history, and he proved that the northern ten tribes migrated up into Europe and into the British Isles. And he proved that specific tribes remained largely together, becoming specific nations. His book focused primarily on the two birthright nations, that was Ephraim and Manasseh, those two tribes, the two birthright nations. Mr. Armstrong proved that Ephraim is modern-day Britain and the British Commonwealth, and that Manasseh uh, became America, the United States of America. And we won't take the time to go through the, the just the myriad of biblical prophecies about what would happen to these countries, about how that has been fulfilled in these countries, uh, even the exact prophesied number of years it would take for them to emerge as world powers from uh, 721, when they were taken captive, 721 to 718. But here, here is one verse, though, God's, God's promise to Jacob regarding his descendants as found in Genesis 35, verse 11, quote, And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. So Genesis 48 shows that the end-time descendants of Manasseh would make up this greatest single nation, what we know as the United States of America to this day, and that the descendants of Ephraim would make up this greatest of empires, the company of nations or commonwealth of nations, the British Commonwealth. So again, the main thrust of the United States and Britain and prophecy uh, along these lines is proving the United States and Britain are modern-day Israel in prophecy. The the, The primary tribes, the chief birthright holders, Ephraim and Manasseh. And Mr. Armstrong also shows that the modern nation of Israel in the Middle East uh, is the tribe of Judah, the Jews. He, he also goes into how Germany is, is modern-day Assyria. But what of the other tribes? What of the, the other lost ten tribes? The, the other lost tribes among the ten, shall I say. Now, Mr. Armstrong doesn't go into to great detail in the US and BIP, uh, but here is what he states on page 108. Quote, we lack space for a detailed explanation of the specific identity of all of these other tribes in the nations of our 20th century. Suffice it to say here that there is ample evidence that these other eight tribes have descended into such northwestern European nations as Holland, Belgium, Denmark, northern France, Luxembourg, Switzerland, Sweden, Norway. The people of Iceland also are of Viking stock. The political boundaries of Europe, he continues, as they exist today, do not necessarily show lines of division between descendants of these original tribes of Israel. So what of France specifically for this program? 
Well, Mr. Armstrong uh, further writes on page 147, quote, The tribe of Reuben settled in the country that is France today. They had lost their national identity, but the French have the very characteristics of their ancestor, Reuben. So for this program today, let's examine why France is Reuben, why France is identified as Reuben. So for the first part, we'll look at uh, those Reubenite characteristics that Mr. Armstrong described. And then for the second part of the program, we'll, we'll trace the migration of Reuben into France from the Holy Land after that Assyrian invasion. So in the very first book of the Bible, uh, there's a detailed prophetic outline given of the end-time nations that the sons of Jacob, or Israel as he was called, would become. Here's a quote from Genesis 49 verse 1, quote, And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. So this is an end-time prophecy here, Genesis 49, talking about these descendants of the, uh, the, the sons, of, sons of Jacob, these 12 sons of Jacob, what they would become, what the, these nations that they would turn into would be like. So what about Reuben? What befell Reuben? Jacob starts out with, with Reuben, as Reuben was his eldest, uh, his, his firstborn son. He says, quote, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. That's verse 3. So Jacob begins by addressing national qualities. This end-time nation was to have a degree of might, strength, excellency, dignity among nations. And that's certainly true of France. But the following verse, though, takes a turn. Uh, Verse 4 states, "'Unstable as water, you shall not excel.'" Because you went up to your father's bed, then defiled you it, he went up to my couch. So here here we see that Reuben was condemned by Jacob for a pretty shocking sexual act with his father's concubine, Bilhah. And Bilhah was the mother of two of Reuben's brothers. And as a result, his birthright that would have naturally gone to this firstborn child, it was handed down to, to the sons of Joseph. Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, as, is, as is described in 1 Chronicles 5 verse 1. And so this birthright fully manifested itself in the United States and the British Commonwealth, Ephraim and Manasseh, beginning in the early 1800s. Unmatched power that France almost had for themselves, but that they lost. So much of the embryonic birthright power France did have was turned over in pretty dramatic fashion uh, right at that time period to America and Britain. Uh, There was the miraculous Louisiana Purchase, miraculous for America. Uh, This was the French fire sale of territory, which basically equaled one-third of mainland United States, about 530 million acres, and they sold that for a pretty paltry $15 million dollars. And then at that, same t- at that same point in time in history, the British Empire suddenly expanded exponentially, far surpassing the might of the French Empire at that time. So again, these blessings were taken away thanks to this 
historic period of of really inflamed passion on the part of Reuben. And talking about a, a period of inflamed passion, which country is largely synonymous with love? Of course, it's France, and, and in particular, the city of Paris. Even the French language is known as the language of love. Even, even centuries ago, uh, during the heights of the French monarchy, uh, while other nations were very much absorbed in, in a lot of prudish customs, travelers to France would write about just the, the sheer number of, of prostitutes on the street, uh, along with just the overtly crude, shameless immodesty of even the upper classes in conversation and in clothing. And really, it, it's unfortunate to say that not much has changed today, as, as a lot of statistics show. France has one of the lowest marriage rates in all of Europe. That may come as a surprise, but it doesn't have any bearing on anything uh, because in the early 2000s, France was labeled the most sexually active country in the world. And all of this has resulted in an estimated 60% of children born out of wedlock uh, in France, which is the highest number in all of Europe. I found a whole lot of statistics relating to France and Paris specifically. I won't go through them because there are a lot of them are pretty pretty shocking. Uh, but needless to say, according to one survey, the number of people that the average Parisian has slept with is 19. And nearly one in two have had relations with a partner without first knowing their name. So, so France, and especially Gay Paris, uh, really lives up to that licentiousness of the ancestor Reuben. There's another biblical account relating to Reuben and to this kind of sexual passion, although this example isn't necessarily sinful uh, in, in nature, and it references Reuben gathering mandrakes. And this is an aphrodisiac plant with a, either a purple or a white flower. Uh, Reuben gathering the, these plants for his mother. And according to the, the Midrash, which is an early rabbinic commentary, the symbol of Reuben became the mandrake. Uh, it was depicted on the tribe's flag. Uh, in connection to this, one of the most infamous French symbols is the fleur-de-lis, uh, the, the stylized white lily flower motif, uh, motif. And this flower is pretty similar to the mandrake, Throughout history, the, this white lily flower has been featured on numerous different French banners, flags, standards, and coats of arms, and it's still flown in uh, full prominence on the flag of Quebec, uh, French Canada. Certain species of lily are thought to have aphrodisiac qualities, like the mandrake. So here again, there's, there's, a, there's a, a clue, there's a link to the so-called romance of Reuben. Jacob also notes Reuben as being unstable as water. The, the prophetess Deborah, during the time of the judges, she notes that the tribe of Judah stayed out of a certain conflict uh, to free Israel. Uh, judges 5 verse 17 says, Yes, in the tribe of Reuben there, there was great indecision. This is also translated as searchings of heart. So France, modern, modern France, does have a history uh, to, to this day of, of vacillation, of, of instability and indecision, the nation has been known to have momentarily good, strong foreign relationships, uh, only to suddenly swing into hostility 
and even to turn violently on itself. So, for, for example, take the brotherhood relationships with America and Britain, Ephraim and Manasseh, the, the sons of Joseph. So from warring against Britain in the 19th century to allying in World War I, uh, to playing both the, the ally and the Vichy French enemy in World War II, just like the judges incident, this was a time of great indecision or searchings of heart. So, so now, currently, the nation is siding pretty closely again with Germany against Britain and the U.S. They're, they're quite snugly uh, within the European Union. Uh, and, and even just during the presidency of Donald Trump, uh, Macron, the uh, president of France, he's gone from what the press called a wild bromance with Trump to, to really sudden hostility and, and public condemnation of President Trump. But despite this instability, though, Rubin, France, has shown certain dramatic, even fanatic devotion uh, once they have been firmly minded behind a cause. And one, one verse describes Rubin's pledge, one biblical verse describes Rubin's pledge to do all he could to bring Jacob's son Benjamin safely home. Genesis 42 verse 37 reads, And Reuben spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons, if I bring him not to you. Deliver him into my hand, and I will bring him to you again. Pretty dramatic uh, pledge there. And this this trait has been exhibited, for better or worse, uh, in France, depending on the cause. There was the fanatic violence of the French Revolution, where the sons of Reuben really were slain by their own king, kin, uh, on en masse at the blade of the guillotine. But then on the other hand, there was the exceptional bravery of the French underground during World War II. This was a, a movement that uh, zealously was devoted to liberating their country at, at great price and incredible personal risk. And added to that, First Chronicles 5 honors the Reubenites as being, quote, valiant men, skillful in war, people who cried to God and put their trust in him. Now, there are some additional links between ancient Reuben and modern France, uh, little, little tidbits we can pull out. Reuben had four sons listed in the Bible. Their names were, were Hanoch, Falu, Hetzron, and Karmai. So Hanoch uh, signifies education. Falu means to be distinguished. Hezron uh, signifies a court enclosure, and Kamai means my vineyard. And again, all of these are attributes that could easily be associated with France. It's a country that prides itself in education, in distinction, in high court grandeur, and most notably, it's a country that swears by regular consumption of fine wine. So it seems that even the patriarch Reuben himself had a great passion for the old fermented grape. Maybe not the old, well, I guess wine gets better with age. So yeah, maybe the old fermented grape in calling his son Carmi. And what about the tribe's choice of land? The, the tribes of Reuben and Gad, they settled in Gilead, which was on the east of the Jordan River. So unique with that, the, the tribes of Reuben and Gad. Uh, and as advantageous and fertile as this land was, it was quite vulnerable as it bordered directly uh the, the enemy territory to the east. 
Uh, it bordered the land uh, of Arab marauders as well as the Assyrian and Babylonian empires. All of them lay due east of Reuben. Now, most of the rest of Israel was somewhat safeguarded to the west by the then large uh, Jordan River Channel. The, the geographical vulnerability of Reuben, it might have factored into Moses' statement in Deuteronomy 33, his blessing on the tribes in which he asked that Reuben, quote, live and not die, nor let his men be few, unquote. So this ancient geographical positioning actually parallels modern geography. Many of the other Israelite tribes lie separated from mainland Europe by narrow sea passages, such as the British Isles, Ireland, Scandinavia. But the peoples of France uh, and Switzerland, which has been, been identified as the tribe of Gad, they chose to possess rich lands, very fertile lands, divided from many of their fellow tribes deep within the European mainland. Uh, so this brings to mind the Israelite statements that, quote, the Lord hath made the river Jordan a border between us and you, you children of Reuben and children of Gad. That's Joshua 22, verse 25. Now, the downside of this, of course, being that Reuben is again bordered directly to the east by, by pretty fierce enemies, notably Germany and Assyria comes to mind, uh, Germany and Austria, rather, which are modern-day Assyria, again, as uh, Mr. Armstrong points out in his book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy. So as such, France has experienced numerous horrific invasions into her fine farmlands and, and vineyards throughout her history, but still she has continued to sustain one of the largest populations in Europe, perhaps indirect fulfillment of Deuteronomy 33 verse 6. Okay, we'll take a short break there, but do stay with us. We'll trace Reuben's mysterious migration through history as it happened from Israel into modern-day France. This is Watch Jerusalem where history and prophecy come alive. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome back to the program. I'm Christopher Eames, again, your host for today's program on Watch Jerusalem. We've been looking at the evidence for France as the modern-day tribe of Reuben, one of the lost ten tribes, as they're so-called, We've covered a lot of ground on the parallels between the ancient tribe and their modern-day descendants. So if you missed it, do check that out, uh, the, the podcast out on watchjerusalem.co.il. Now, though, let's see if there is evidence backing up these parallel characteristics, evidence for these fulfilled prophecies, evidence of a migration. Now, after Assyria's defeat of the Kingdom of Israel during the late 8th century BC, the tribes were uprooted and led away captive. So where did they go? Where did Israel go? Now, Bible prophecy makes it clear. Jeremiah 31 verse 8, and we'll just cover a brief few scriptures here regarding Israel in general. More can be found again in our free booklet, the United States and Britain in Prophecy, 
You can order a hard copy uh, for free online on our website, watchjerusalem.co.il, or you can read it online as well. Now, Bible prophecy uh, shows which direction the Israelites went after being conquered by Assyria. Jeremiah 31 verse 8 states that the Israelites would end up in the countries to the north, the coasts, and the ends of the earth. And this the, the, the phrase ends of the earth really is highlighted uh, quite dramatically by the Commonwealth countries such as South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. Now, Isaiah 49 verse 12 affirms that these Israelites would largely be found northwest of Palestine. Multiple scriptures make mention of end time Israel among the isles. So what territory is located in the northwest to the northwest of the Holy Land, with coasts, isles, and control of dominions at the ends of the earth? Well, of course, it's Western Europe, the British Isles, and Scandinavia. So one of the early leaders of the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, during biblical times, he was a man called Omri, King Omri. He was a well-respected general, and it was he who established the new capital of the kingdom, the northern kingdom, in Samaria. Uh, I believe it was Terza before that, uh, and and he moved it to Samaria. Uh, and as such, along with the term Israel, the Northern Kingdom also generally became known as the House of Omri. So this term was used quite often by foreigners, notably the Assyrians, uh, in referring to the nation of Israel. They would call them the House of Omri. However, the name Omri is pronounced slightly different than in, Eng- in English. The first letter we don't have uh, in, in English. There is no English equivalent. It's a glottal stop. Uh, and so the Assyrians transliter- transliterated the name Omri as Komri or Gomri. So these captive Israelites, af- after they were taken captive by the Assyrians... Uh, in 7, 721 to 718, they were carried out to the northeast as slaves of the Assyrian Empire. And the Bible states that these Israelite captives were sent to the faraway land of the Medes in northwest Iran. Now, the Assyrians had a, quite a tendency for, dis, for quite distant deportations of captives and that carries on to modern history with with the recent World War II uh, World War II history with the German deportations of the Jews being a case in point. Now Josephus also stated that Tiglath Pileser deported Syrians to the extreme north of Media, so far away deportations, and this was to ensure that the captives wouldn't return home. Uh, it helped to, I guess cauterize any national identity or roots uh, to, to try and eliminate that from the psyche of the captives. So this would explain why the Qumri, why the Israelites ended up so far away. Now it's around this point in secular history that a civilization comes on the scene known as the Cimmerians. Um, and, and these people are known to have migrated up into Asia Minor and are believed to have come from the region of Iran. So we have uh, from the Bible, the Qumri, the the Israelites being taken from Israel 
to Iran, general area of Iran, specifically northwest. And then around this period in history, we have the Cimmerians appearing on the scene, migrating from Iran to in, up into Asia Minor. So one reason for this continued uh, northwestern migration might have been the, the violent overthrow of the Assyrian Empire by the Babylonians, uh, because the, the Assyrians also ended up migrating out of their homeland. Now, the Cimmerians were known to the Greeks as the Cimmeroi. The, the Babylonians called them the Gemiri. Historians have connected the Welsh term Kimri to them. So these people then became known, uh, b- became what are commonly known as the Celts, the Kimri, Kimbri, Gimiri, Kumri, Celtic people. Even today, the Celtic country of Wales is referred to in the Welsh language as Kimri. Again, linking back to that old name, Kumri, linking to Omri, the the one of the founders of the house of Israel and and the the name that the Assyrians called Israel. So history shows that these early Celts migrated across Europe, conquering and establishing themselves on the continent and in the Isles. So not only does the passage, the name and the time frame match, so too do the practices. The religious and legal order of the Celts was dominated by the Druids, by the pagan Druids, and this class actually resembles quite closely the priestly class of the pagan Israelites described in the Bible. So that, in very, very brief summary, uh, explains the general migration of the Lost Ten Tribes as a whole, but what specifically of the tribe of Reuben? Now, the primary ancestors of the French are the Gauls. These were a Celtic people, uh, part of the, uh, the Israelite Celts that arrived throughout the region. They apparently spread into the area, particularly at the close of the 4th century BC, bearing the title Kimrians or Cimmerians. So the names, the names Gaul, Gallia, Galatia, they're all related. What was their origin? Interestingly, we can find their roots with, with the land originally settled by the tribe of Reuben. Remember, the tribe of Reuben settled on the east side of the Jordan River. The name of, of much of that territory was the land of Gilead. Essentially, those dwelling uh, east of Jordan became Gileadites. And in Judges 5, Reuben is actually called by that name. Reuben is called Gilead. Now, the French word for Gilead is Galad. The original Hebrew word is believed to have come from a term meaning rocky heap or heap of witness. Gal means rocky heap and Ad means uh, witness. So the term is, is quite fitting. France is scattered with stone heaps, ancient stone heaps, memorials left during the early Celtic period. And this connects with a command found in Jeremiah 31, verse 21, quote, Set thee up waymarks, make thee high heaps, set your heart toward the highway, even the way which you went. Turn again, O virgin of Israel, turn again to these your cities. So thus applying the term Gauls to the Hebrew, we not only have a link to the Gileadites, but an indicator of the builders of stone heaps. Now, it seems that the term Gaul may also be linked to the northwest, northeastern Golan region. 
the northern part of Transjordan. This area was known to the Greeks as Gaulanitis. The, the Arabs used the term Jolan. The, the root of this word means exiles. Again, a fitting name when, when it's applied to the French Celts. In like manner, the Celtic word Gael means wanderer or stranger. So to look more specifically at the tribal names, the name Reuben uh, itself may be witnessed in Rahabani. This is a name in Ptolemy's map of Arabia, and this is used for the northeastern portion of Israel, uh, Rahabani. The parallel name Rabani can also be found in East Scythia, again showing the, the migration. The, the Scythians were equated with the Cimmerians. And uh, as for Reuben's four sons, these names may be applied to known groups that became established in and around the region of modern-day France, Falu uh, as the Falia Franks, Hezron uh, is, is pronounced Hetzron. These, uh, these could, could link up with the Hetzroni invaders. There's Hanoch uh, as the Heniochi of the Black Sea coasts. Uh, then possibly becoming the Hugo Franks, and then there's Kami as their Carini. So the modern name France, of course, comes from the Franks. However, the Frankish settlers of Gaul, uh, they made up what historian Ernest Renan called an imperceptible minority of the country. Historians affirm that the, that the small influx of Franks had a pretty negligible impact on the country dominated by the Gauls. Yet, in, in this case, it's interesting to note the way in which nat national names can become so easily lost. So Israel becomes Omri, which becomes Comri, Reuben becomes Gilead, and Gaul becomes France. Even though the, the, even despite the insignificant impact of the Franks on that national Gallic country, uh, culture. So now we come to the present-day France in, in the very end time, and just as what was prophesied in Genesis 49, Jacob's sons have become great individual nations in their own right. There is a degree of crossover, such as the great numbers of French living in other parts of the world, such as eastern Canada, but by and large, the nation of France is the primary representative of biblical Reuben. And as we have identified France in the Bible, we can now identify some very sobering pro uh, biblical prophecies that apply to the French, just as they do with the United States and Britain, prophecies that are swiftly being fulfilled. We don't have time in this program to go through them, but I will leave some links to some of our other material on this on the pod podcast page at watchjerusalem.co.il. I think we've got one or two articles and then a few videos going in depth uh, on this subject. So prophecy does speak of some troubling and deadly times ahead for France, as well as the other nations of Israel, the worst times that they have ever experienced. But on beyond that, France does have a glorious future ahead as a leading nation. And so it seems fitting to end this program with the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 33 verse 6, Let Reuben live, which, as we've now shown in this program, could just as easily be translated into that famous French expression, Vive la France. <laughs>